And welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 20. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and these guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 20, we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses today. Right, starting in verse 1, Jesus is giving this parable, and he writes, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said, Because no one hired us. He said to them, You also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. And when they received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with, with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is it your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. The title of my message is, Why Do We Serve? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in this place where we can be in your word. And we know, Lord, that your word has something to say to each one of us here this morning. That's why you brought us together. And Lord, we pray that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us today. We do pray, Lord, if anyone has joined us, it is yet to be born again. They're yet to to have their sin forgiven. Lord, especially touch their heart. But Lord, for us, we we pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to uh, apply these truths to our lives as we seek to bring glory to your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Maybe you've heard this story before about a lady and her five-year-old son. The lady wanted her son to attend Sunday morning service, but she couldn't sit with him because she was singing in the choir that morning. So she asked the boy's grandfather to accompany him, uh, you know, realizing that the boy's grandfather always nodded off during the service. The lady then offered her son, one dollar to keep grandpa awake. Well, halfway through the sermon, the lady glanced down and saw her grandpa snoring away. Upon questioning the boy after churches why he didn't do his paid job of keeping grandfather awake, the boy said, well, grandfather offered him five dollars to let him sleep. (laughs) I like that. Grandpa paid more. 
let me ask you this. Suppose you hired a man named Jim to come and work for you. And during the interview, Jim tells you, I just can't wait to get there and work for you. I really want this job. Well, his first day on the job, the first thing he does is go down to the break room to find out where that was. And then he goes to the office to find out when his breaks are, when lunch break is going to be, and an afternoon break. And, and when Jim finally did work, he was able to make it, you know, to the bathroom at least three times in between breaks. Jim then informed the foreman that he could think of three ways the job could be made, easy, made easier. None of them were any good. Jim then stopped by the office on the way home to let them know he would probably be late coming in the next day and that he would have to have Friday off for personal reasons. How long would you put up with Jim? Same scenario, but this time you hired Jane. During this, her interview, Jane did not show as much enthusiasm as Jim, but she really wanted the job. And on the first day on the job, she had had to be stopped in order to take her first break. She was the first one back from lunch and was the last one to stop working when it was time to go home. And on her way past the office, the foreman said, Jane, you, you did a really good job. How long would you put up with Jane? See, the wonderful and amazing thing about our God is that God deals, when God calls us to work, He's able to love us and put up with all of us, both the Jims and the Janes in the church. And the question is, if someone were to do a job evaluation of your commitment to God's work in the church, would you be closer to a Jim or to a Jane? When I think of the 20 plus years that I've been in ministry that God has given me here at Calvary, I'm very thankful because I've discovered that we have a church with so many more Janes than we have Jims. We have a lot of Kevins and Stevens as well, but, but I mean, that's beside the point. <laughs> but my point is that in the parable of the vineyard is a story about our service to God and, and why we serve the Lord. Now, what I'd like to do is as we look at this parable is to ask three simple questions and these are our three points. Number one, why did Jesus give this parable? Number two, what does this parable mean? And number three, how can we apply this parable? Number one, why did Jesus give this parable? Well, in order to see why Jesus gave us this parable, uh, we need to go back up with me to chapter 19 and look at verse 27. It's there that we read that Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? Now, the context of Peter's question is that Jesus had just encountered this rich young ruler. And remember, we looked at last time, this young man that came to Jesus and said in Matthew 19:16, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus kind of checked him out for a moment and said, Why do you call me good? There's only one good but God. And, and Jesus was trying to draw his attention to the fact that he was divine. And then Jesus says, Well, you know the commandments. You need to keep them. And this rich young ruler said, well, I've kept them from my youth. What commandments are you talking about? Well, Jesus said you shouldn't murder and you shouldn't commit adultery and you shouldn't lie and you shouldn't steal and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, the kid said, well, I kept all of these, these from my time. I was a little whippersnapper from the time I was young. And then Jesus said, well, there's one thing that you lack. Sell everything that you have and then take the money and give it to the poor. And then you should come and follow me. And you remember the story of the rich young ruler. He turned and went away sad. And those disciples are standing there in amazement, watching this whole episode take place with a puzzled look on their face. Jesus said, see, said, this is a perfect teaching opportunity. Because remember, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And that blew the disciples' minds. They said, whoa! I didn't say that. You don't read that. In it. it's, it's paraphrased, but... They said, then, who then can be saved? 
Because they thought that, that wealth was a sign of God's favor. So that if someone was wealthy and had a, they, they had a sign of God's favor, or, you know, if, if they couldn't make it into the kingdom of God, then how could we make it into the kingdom of God? And so they kind of freaked out and said, well, then who then can be saved? And that's when Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And it's at that moment that in verse 27 that Peter says, well, we have left all. We followed you, therefore, what shall we have? See, Peter begins to contrast himself with the rich young ruler. He's comparing himself with the rich young ruler who forsook really nothing. Peter says, Lord, we've given up everything, so what's in it for us? Now think about what they gave up. Some smelly fishing boats, some old fishing nets. I don't think it would be that much to give that up. But Peter's heart here is, Lord, we have followed you. What are we going to get? That's the reason for Jesus giving us this parable. See, Jesus detected in Peter's question a wrong motive in serving him. Serving him for what he will get out of it. And the Lord says, Pete, you're not getting it. And he gives him this parable to help him understand. Now, there are a lot of people today that, that serve the Lord for selfish reasons. For what they can get out of it. I mean, there's some so-called pastors in America. I say so-called because I think many of them are false teachers making millions and millions of dollars. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with being wealthy, but, but with great wealth comes great responsibility. And regardless of your rung on the income ladder, we must remember that Jesus viewed wealth as a gift from God to be used to further his kingdom, to, 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 for service. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, God and be enslaved to money. And there are those that only serve the Lord for what they can get out of it. And God is going to hold them accountable. Now, don't get me wrong. Serving the Lord has its benefits and blessings, but that's not what should motivate us. We should serve our God because He's our Savior. We should serve Him because He paid the price for our sins. He redeemed us. We are no longer going to hell. We should serve Him for all He's done for us. We should serve Him because He loves us. Because we love Him. And so Jesus is patient with Peter no rebuke, but, but a parable to help him understand. But notice first before we get to it, verse 28 of chapter 19. Peter says, or Jesus says, Surely I say to you that in the regeneration, that is in the millennial kingdom, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers our sisters, our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our lands, for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now I might add that in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 30, he adds with persecution to that list. Which is interesting because you have the word faith people out there, the health and wealth prosperity teachers. They like to quote this verse in Matthew. But they don't quote the, the, the verse in Mark. They teach, yeah, the, the hundredfold return. You know, Mark says, with persecution. With persecution. But see, they teach, well, a hundredfold return. Now, if you give to God, He's going to give you a hundredfold back. If you give up your house, God's going to give you a hundred houses. If you give up a dollar, God will give you a hundred dollars. That's a pretty good deal. But Jesus says, no, listen, there's going to be persecution. So I believe Jesus is talking about spiritually when you have to leave your parents or your family. Some of you know what that's like to become a Christian in a family where you have non-Christians. And you're ostracized by your own family. You no longer feel like you even have parents. 
or to be harassed at work because you're the only Christian there. But then you've come to know the joy of, of being a part of the family of God, a much bigger family than you've ever had before. I mean, when you look around this sanctuary, most of us, if not all of us, are brothers and sisters in Christ. I know we're not all the prettiest to look at, but we clean up pretty good for Sunday morning. Now, you can't pick, you know, who your brothers and sisters of Christ are anymore than you can pick your biological brothers and sisters, but, but you're stuck with them. But God, God brought us together. I shared this a while back. One mother was asked if she had to do it all over again, would she have children? And she said, yes, but not the same ones. Or the stewardess that was addressing the passengers on the plane. In the event of a sudden loss of cabin pressure, masks will descend from the ceiling. Stop screaming, grab the mask, and pull it over your face. If you have a small child traveling with you, secure your mask before assisting with theirs. If you're traveling with more than one small child, pick your favorite. (laughs) But you see, we're part of a huge family. And if you've ever needed a place to stay, there are many people here that would open up their home to you. If you ever needed food to eat, we're part of a family. We can feed you. We're one family in Christ. You know, and what a neat thing that is. Yeah, we may lose our biological family when we come to Christ. But what we gain is so amazing. Now, the real blessing is when you have a biological family that all know the Lord as well. That's a real blessing. Well, then lastly, Jesus says, and he's really speaking to Peter here in verse 30, where he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, Peter might have been thinking, well, you know, we gave up everything, so we're going to be first. <laughs> that rich young ruler guy, you know, he had the big bucks, the big money, but hey, man, that's all going to be gone, but, but we've forsaken all, so we're going to move to the top there. Jesus is saying, watch out, Peter, be careful. Those who may view as being first are going to be last, and those who are last are going to be first. What's he talking about? Well, you know, over in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ. He writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So when we, we appear before the Lord, or what is called the beam seat of Christ, it's the time that rewards are going to be given out for our service to the Lord. And when that day comes, I do believe there's going to be some big surprises. I kind of picture this, you know, maybe in our minds, it's more like the Academy Awards or the Emmys or the Grammys. It's really quite cruel what they do at those award ceremonies, I think, in some ways. They have the camera and every single nominee, and they're looking for that big moment. They say, and the winner is, and you're looking, and they announce the winner, but they keep the camera on the losers, right? You know, just for a little bit, just to see their reaction. I don't know about you, but I like to look at the losers to see how they take it. Like, you know, what expression they're going to make. Most of these people, at least the Academy Awards, they're good actors, you know. And so, they're, oh, great, wonderful. They're thinking, I could kill them. They don't deserve that. And the person goes up and receives the award. And, and some people receive multiple awards. And then they go to the press conference holding their awards and, and talk about all what they've done. And, and the other people are kind of stewing in jealousy. And, but they'll say things. So, well, this isn't about competition. It's about good work. Oh, please. You know you wanted to win. I think we can picture that in our minds when we get to heaven. There's going to be this award ceremony. And Billy Graham is just going to keep walking down and back up and down again. And all these awards. And maybe Corrie ten Boom, the Holocaust survivor, she's going to receive a bunch. And Jim Elliott, you know, martyr for the faith, he's going to receive, he receive his awards. And that's how we picture it. 
Now, I'm not saying these people aren't going to receive rewards because I, I am confident God is going to bless them because God's used them faithfully and they were faithful in using their gifts. But we might be surprised on that day when we hear, and the winner is Louise Finkelheimer. She walked out, who's Louise Finkelheimer? Well, she's that blessed lady that faithfully did what God called her to do. I think she represents a lot of people out there. She wasn't a great preacher, you know, a, a missionary or author, but while Billy Graham was preaching, Louise was praying. While Billy Graham was doing what God called him to do, Louise Fingelheimer was doing what God called her to do. I'm not saying there's a Louise Fingelheimer. I just made up that name. But a lot of people that are like, their, that like her. Maybe God has called you to something different. Maybe he hasn't called you to go and preach, but he's called you to be a mother to your children. He's called you to teach them in the way of the Lord and to love them. Maybe, you know, you have made some sacrifices to do that. Maybe when others are going that career route and you could have lived a lot more comfortably, you chose to make sacrifices to be with your children. And there are others of you who may labor in relatively obscure places and nobody knows your name. Nobody knows what you're doing, but God knows. And on that final day, he will reward you accordingly. He's not going to judge you according to what He's called someone else to do. He'll judge you according to what He's called you to do and how effectively you use your talents and time and gifts that He's given to you in your life. But you see, Jesus makes a point at the end of chapter 19 when He says, many who are first will be last and the last first. And also at the end of the parable in verse 16, He says, so the last will be first and the first last for many are called but few chosen. There are two bookends to this parable that open and close with that same statement. See, Jesus is getting the point across that it's not always what it looks like on the outside. God sees our hearts and our service to Him and your Father who sees in secret will reward Himself, reward you openly. So number one, that's why Jesus gave this parable. Number two, what does this parable mean? Well, first of all, we need to understand the hiring principle back then in those days. It was widely known in this kind of setting. This is speaking of a harvest uh, of the grapes. And the grape harvest would usually happen in the month of August. And since August was the beginning of the rainy season in, in Israel, the foreman in charge of the vineyards was always watching the rains because if a sudden rainstorm comes in, it could ruin the crops. So in the morning, if, if the foreman saw that the rain was coming, he would go quickly to the town square and gather workers to harvest the grapes. And there'd be these unemployed people there walking around for someone to come and hire them. If the skies then began to get worse... A little more cloudy, it looks like, man, it's going to rain harder. Then he gets some more workers to come in. And he would continue this, the foreman would, until he had all the workers that he needed. Well, we have a landowner here in verse 1 that went out early in the morning. It is believed to have been 6 a.m. in verse 1. And in verse 2, he hired laborers and agreed to pay them a penny. The word is denarius. It was a common day's wage. That's what you pay for a whole day's worth of work. And then he went on at different times during the day. It says in verse 3, the third hour, which is 9 a.m., and verse 4, he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. Then in verse 5, we read that he went out again in the sixth hour, which is 12 noon. Then the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. And then the eleventh hour, which in verse 6 was 5 p.m., which at that time they would have had only one hour left to work. So they would work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was a long day. So they hired these different folks during the different stages of the day. Now, there are those who say, well, this is speaking of salvation happening at different times in people's lives. Some get saved when they're very young and they serve the Lord with their whole life. And when they get to heaven, they're they're just like anyone else. Some get saved at the 11th hour of conversion. They call it on their deathbed. They accept Christ and they go to heaven like anyone else. 
Now, I believe that is true, but that's not what Jesus is teaching here in this parable. We can't earn our salvation by good works. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about our service. Are you serving and why? Is it to get or is it because you love the Lord and you're so thankful for all he's done for you? You see, in context, Peter, chapter 19, verse 27, said, What will we get? And in chapter 20, verse 10, those who worked all day long supposed that they would receive more. Jesus is saying that in the distribution of rewards, God is just and God is sovereign and God is gracious. But God is more concerned with the servant than he is with the service. God is more concerned with the heart and not our outward actions. You know, if I'm doing the right things with the wrong attitudes or motives, then it doesn't please God. It doesn't bring Him glory. You know, one of the best definitions I found of what it means to, to minister to people, to minister one to another, is from the late Warren Wiersbe in his book called On Being a Servant. And he writes this, Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. I like that. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Are you ministering in that way? I don't mean here at church. I just Is God channeling through you His love and are you being a loving instrument used, using His divine resources to meet other needs, other people's needs around you? See, we should all have a hunger in our life to say, God, use me. And that brings us to our, our, our third point. How do we apply this parable in our lives today? Now, I believe that we can find uh, the application in the form of four warnings that we see here that I would encourage you to write them down. The first warning that we see here is beware of overconfidence. Look at verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise received each a denarius. Now, picture this scene. It's the end of the day. All the workers are lined up. They're ready to get paid. And notice those who started at the 11th hour at 5 p.m., they only worked for one hour. And when they came to reward them or to get paid for the laborers, these guys only worked one hour. They received that one denarius. Now, the other guys at, at the end of the line, they had labored some 12 hours. So I'm thinking they're, they're probably calculating right now. They're going, okay, 12 hours. They got one denarius. One, two, three, four, 12. We're going to get 12 denarius. I mean, that's, that's like, like, man, this is, we're in the money. This is going to be good. This is awesome. 12 denarius. How exciting. Now it does feel good to get paid, especially if you put some overtime in. It does feel good. You're going to get a little more. But they started going down the line and each worker got paid and the guy that worked one hour, the guy that worked three hours, the guy that worked six hours, all got that same denarius. And finally, when it came to those who worked from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 12 hours, they put out their hand and that one denarius got put in their hand. And all of a sudden, they come, really? really? And they're kind of bummed out. They weren't very happy. It doesn't say it in the text, but it has the idea that they threw it down on the ground in disgust. Look at verse 11. They complained against the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden at the heat of the day. That's not fair, man. We worked all day long. That's not what to do, man. We only got a denarii. And the problem is, they were expecting more. That the landowner owed, owed them more for working longer. How often do we get the idea as Christians that God owes us something? That I deserve more. 
Well, I've been praying more than anyone else. I've been going to church. I've gone to Calvary Chapel. I have endured Tom Humphrey's sermons every Sunday for the last 20 years. Man, I deserve something for that. There's got to be something. You owe me big time, God. And we get the idea that, that somehow that we're so good and so spiritual and we pray and we read and we teach Sunday school and we give tithes of all that we possess. Okay, God, now bless me, bless me. Come on, you owe it to me. Listen, God owes us nothing. As a matter of fact, if God gave us what we deserve, we would be in hell right now. The truth is, God owes us nothing. I never pray, God, give me what I deserve. You know, sometimes you look at your husband and you say, man, I deserve better. All he does is sit around and burp and pass gas all day long. Or I deserve better wife. All she does is social media 24-7. But the truth is, you got better than what you deserve. Truth is, we all deserve hell, and whatever you have is more than you deserve. And God is under no obligation at all to bless us. Now He does. And we serve a great God, and, and He doesn't owe us anything. We owe Him our very lives. So, first, don't be overconfident thinking that you deserve more. Second warning that we can draw from this parable is be careful at looking at others. Be careful at looking at others. See, these laborers that worked hard all day long got their eyes off their master and on to the other servants. You know, growing up in Southern California, where I grew up, and you know, they have six lanes of traffic going in one direction and six lanes of traffic going in the other direction. And they're all going about 85, 90 miles per hour. That is, until something happens. Then all of a sudden, that freeway looks like a parking lot and you sit there forever. So you naturally think, well, there must be this huge accident up front there, and, and that's why it's all backed up, and so you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you get closer and closer. And you see, on the other side of the freeway, there happens to be a police over that pulled over a car. That was it. That's the reason for all the, all the traffic. You know what they call that? Looky-loos. Looky-loos, you know, neck benders. They're looking, what's going on over there? You're looking over there, and then, what's going on? You know, that's, that's true for many Christians today. We're looky-loos. Remember in, in John chapter 21 when Jesus told Peter how Peter was going to die and, and that Peter pointed to John and said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, what is that to you? You follow me. Get your eyes on me. You see, here in verse 15, the workers were jealous. Jesus says, is it not lawful for me to do with, what wish, with my own things? He says, or is your eye evil because I am good? That phrase, is your eye evil, means are you so jealous? Is your, is your eye so evil but catch this, he says, because I am good. Now that is an amazing thought. Are you jealous because I'm blessing someone else? Now I think that, that's hard for us at times to rejoice with those who rejoice, right? It's easy to, to weep with those who weep. I think it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, we can see God bless someone in a tangible way and go, wow, that's great. Maybe you work with them and they're promoted and and and... You know, and we aren't, or they receive more in life than we have received. We, and maybe we think, well, that's not fair. Maybe God puts his hand on a certain individual and begins to bless them and use them. And you say, Lord, wait a second. I have faithfully, you know, served you for all these years. And this, this Johnny come lately pops up and you're using him and you're blessing him. And it's not fair. And I'm so much more godly than they are. And I, I'm so much more committed than they are. And most of the Lord, of, of, of the Lord, I'm so much more humble than they are. And we throw a pity party. And no one comes but us. 
You know, every pity party I've ever thrown, it's only me there, and I'm the only one there. But we say, Lord, it isn't fair. It's hard to rejoice with those who rejoice. But the fact of the matter is we should rejoice that God is being glorified and the gospel is being preached. See, the workers were not satisfied with what they were given. I think of the story of the prodigal son. I think you could call it the the story of the, the parable of the jealous brother as well because that's kind of what was going on. The son comes home, the dad kills a fatted calf, they have having this huge party, the band's playing, there's food and it's fun, it's great, they're having a great meal and then the older brother comes home and he's been working out in the field and, and he hears the music and he's not even going to go in. And he asks one of the servants, what's going on in there? He says, well, your little brother's come home, your dad has killed the fatted calf, why don't you come on in and enjoy the party? Are you kidding me? That's not fair. You tell my dad I want to talk to him. Dad comes out, son, why don't you come in and enjoy the party? Older brother says, Dad, I worked hard for you all these years and you never threw me once a party. But you see, he was doing the right things for the wrong reasons. He says, never once did you kill a fatted calf for me and let me have my friends over and throw a big party. But you see, that's his bad attitude. He's saying, I've served you and you've done nothing for me. And the father had to remind his older son, son, you've been with me all these years. All I have is yours. But this is right that we rejoice because this is your brother who was lost and is now found, was dead, but now he's alive. But so often we're like that older brother. God blesses a brother or sister in the Lord. It's like, God, how come they? And we start judging them. But who am I to judge another man's servant or to think that I deserve more? We need to be careful that we don't look at others and think, well, I deserve more pay or I deserve a better life or better kids or better dog. You know, I don't know. Folks, I've been there. It's easy to get jealous. It's easy to get our our eyes off the Lord and to start thinking that you deserve more. So, number one, don't be overconfident thinking that you deserve more. Number two, be careful in looking at others. There's a third warning here. Beware of making bargains with God. Beware of making bargains with God. Look at verse 13. One of the workers complaining, and the Lord answers him, said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. In other words, pick up your money and get out of here. I've done nothing wrong. And you might want to underline that phrase, I am doing you no wrong. And the next time you're feeling sorry for yourself and you feel that God has ripped you off, remember, God does everything right. The next time you feel that God hasn't given you what you deserve, remember that He does all things well. You know, there are basically two servants in this parable. The first ones were those who agreed to work for a denarii and went out to labor, and the others who were in verse 4, which they all they got was the word from their master that says, whatever is right, I will give you. Now, how many of you would actually go and start a job where the, where the boss would say, whatever is right, I'm going to give you? Would you wait to the end of the month to find out what is right? I mean, you're probably going, hey, you know what, well, what is right? What, do you, what, what are we looking at, you know? I mean, that's scary. What if the guy's not fair? But you know, when we serve the Lord, you can know for sure that He is always fair. You don't need to work out a bargain with the Lord or an agreement with God. You just go. The other laborers, He said to them in verse 7, Hey, go into the vineyard too. And the last phrase, maybe in your Bible, it says, And whatever is right, you will receive. And in, in, in most manuscripts, that text is not there in verse 7. He just says, Go. So the first guys made an agreement. The second guys were told, I'll give you what is right. And the third guy was told, just go. And they went. 
You know, this reminds me of Romans chapter 12. The word to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. And you know what? Paul exhorts us to do that without stipulations, without terms. But it's so often, Lord, God, here's my life. You have it all. You know, Lord, as long as I can start a Calvary Chapel in Maui, that would be great, Lord. I'll, I'll serve you there. Otherwise, forget it. God, here's my life. You have it all as long as you fill in the blank. If I can have this wife or this husband and have these kids, I'll live in this place and get paid this much and I'll serve you as long as it's not, you know, Africa. I don't want to go to Africa, you know. As long as it's not, you know, who, who do you name the place? And we make bargains with God. Paul says, hey, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's no bargaining in there. Have you done that? Have you said, God, I am totally yours. I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say. I will be who you want me to be. And really mean it from your heart. Have you done that? Have you ever gotten alone with God and said, God, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm yours. Take my life. Let it be set apart for you. Lord, take me and use me. What a wonderful thing it is to give God your life without any stipulations or any terms. See, if our hearts are right, then our works will be right. God is infinitely gracious and generous and he will always give us more than what we deserve. Those who were hired at 6 a.m. should have counted it as an added blessing to serve such a wonderful master all day long. And when they looked down at that denarii at the end of the day, they should have realized that those who only worked one hour got the same. They should have said, man, isn't it wonderful that we serve such a kind and gracious master that he would give these people all that? See, if they had that right heart and right attitude, they would have done that. How wonderful it is to serve the Lord faithfully anywhere He has placed us and to be able to say, man, isn't He wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to serve a gracious God and merciful, kind Master? Isn't the Lord good? Now, the last warning that I want to give us is in verses 14 and 15. And that is, beware of forgetting God's sovereign grace. Beware of forgetting of God's sovereign grace. Look at verse 14 and 15. Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Isn't that great? Is it not lawful? Isn't it okay for me to do what I want to do with my own things? Listen, God owns everything. Everything belongs to Him. And the idea here is that God is sovereign in giving of His rewards and blessings. Listen, never forget God's sovereign grace. All that we have that has been given to us is as a result of God's grace. It's not for us to question God's choice of laborers or their respective rewards because of who and what God, you know, is. He cannot act unfairly. Are you jealous because you think that someone else has a nicer home or family or greater salary or better place or status or gifts or abilities that you have? Forgetting that all that we have is by God's grace. Have you gotten your eyes off of God and how merciful and kind He is to you that all, we, that all that we have is more than what we deserve? See, it's not about the amount of our service or the length of our service. It's not the position or the popularity of our service, but it's humbly trusting in God's grace and serving Him out of that motive of love. It's seeking to bring glory to God in everything that we do. Are you overconfident this morning and you think that, that you deserve more? You need to understand we don't deserve anything. Are you looking at others where you've got your focus off of God and you become jealous and murmuring, thinking, not fair. God, why are you blessing them more than me? 
Are you making bargains with God? God, if you do this, then I will do that. Are you bargaining with God? Do you have a bargaining spirit? It's the wrong attitude. And have you forgotten God's sovereign grace? That he will give blessings upon those that he chooses and he has a perfect right and authority to do that. We just need to be faithful with what God has called us to do. We all have gifts. God has given them to us and he's interested in, in, in quality, motivation and, and faithfulness. And I might add, he will reward us in the end, if we're faithful, there's a story, one of my favorite missionary stories about a couple who had served many years out in the missions field and finally they returned home. They came home with no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated and discouraged and afraid. They got on a ship and, and as they were returning, it turned out on that very same ship was President Teddy Roosevelt. And of course, that caused this great commotion and all of the people on board wanted to get a glimpse of this great president who was coming back from this hunting expedition. And when the people, uh, when they returned and the people were coming off the ship, the brass band played and, and the mayor welcomed the president and the photographer was there taking all the pictures. And the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we who have given our lives in Africa for service to the Lord all these years come back and not receive any fanfare or any attention? All this man had done was nothing more than just go on a hunting trip and he comes home and he, he's the center of all of this attention and receiving all these congratulations and so forth. It just doesn't seem right. And his dear wife thought for a minute and then said, Honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And, and that's how it is, folks. We're not home yet. In fact, in many ways as Christians right now, it is worse. We are being mocked. We are being made fun of for our beliefs. We are accused of things that are simply just not true. All because we stand upon the Word of God and upon our Savior Jesus Christ. Well, we're not home yet. And one day we are going to be welcomed into the arms of Jesus who will say, Well done, that good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. See, Jesus said, Your Father who sees you in secret will one day reward you openly. So as we close... I don't know if you have received any rewards yet that are tangible, but, but I'll tell you what, God is keeping tabs, and, and He will bless you. That is why the Bible reminds us, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not faint or give up. There are rewards, but not all of them are necessarily down here. It's interesting to me that late in the day they went into the marketplace to bring in some laborers. Now, maybe some of, of you have basically waited to the last hour to really live for Christ. What I mean by that is that you really, you have not really served the Lord yet. You're a Christian. Christ has come into your life, but you have not been living each day for Him. You've just kind of been living for yourself. And as the years have gone by, you've begun to see the waste and futility of that. And perhaps now you think, man, it's just too late for me. God can never use me. Don't believe that. But there are people out there like that. The late preacher and teacher Alan Redpath did a study called A Saved Soul and a Lost Life. Meaning that it's possible to be saved and forgiven of one sin but waste our life not serving the Lord. Listen, it's not too late to say, Lord, I want to serve you. I don't bring a lot to the table of what I have is now yours. Would you make that commitment to the Lord today? Hopefully, at this point, you, you, you've not been a saved soul and a lost life. Maybe you've been like these people in the marketplace they're coming in at the last moment. But the good news is, there was work for them still to do. It wasn't too late to get them out into the field and labor to, to do the work. And it's not too late for us. 
Yeah, the Lord is coming back. Yeah, I believe we're living in the last hour. I think we're living in the last minutes of the last hours. But God has given us a work to do. Maybe you're getting on in years. I mean, when I first began preaching, I was 40 years old. I thought, man, that was way old to begin preaching. But it's never too late. doesn't matter if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. It's not too late for you to recommit your life to Him and say, Lord, I want to get out there in the vineyard. I want to do that work. I want my life to make a difference. You've given me something to do. You've given me a piece of ground to till. You've given me certain abilities, certain gifts, talents. It might be those that, that's not in the limelight. I just want to serve you. If it's a supportive role, if it's a leadership role, whatever role, I just want to be a part of what you are doing. Maybe it's just supporting this ministry through prayer or, or financing, but, but it, it's the ground that God has given you to till. Listen, God will help you do what God has called you to do. And one day we'll all stand before Jesus. And if you have done nothing with your life, yeah, you'll be saved. But it's by fire. And as that fire burns, you know, eventually there'll be nothing to show. You'll say, well, at least I'll be saved. Yeah, but is that all you want? Just fire insurance? You know, Peter caught on what Jesus was teaching here. Because we know he wrote in Second Peter chapter 1, Verse 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to have an abundant entrance into the kingdom of God. I don't want to slip into the back door and go, oh, I made it, and then try and hide out somewhere. No, I want to walk up in here and say, you've done well, not perfectly. Not flawlessly, made a few mistakes here and there, but, but you took what you had and you gave it to him. Do that. Don't waste your life. Don't, you know, don't do nothing. Get in the vineyard. Get involved in the work that God has called you to do because he has given you gifts and he has given you abilities. He's given you time. He's given you resources. He's given you a future. Use what you have for him and God will bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we know that it's only by your grace that we have anything in our lives. And Lord, what we may think of something as being so uh, small and, and minuscule, Lord, minuscule, Lord, you know, Lord, what you call us to do, and you just ask us to be faithful in that. Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, help us to know, Lord, in ways that we might be able to serve you better. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you and not on other people and what they're doing. Lord, help us to not make bargains with you. Lord, just to serve you because we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity just to be here in this place today and to hear from your heart. Help it to affect our lives and our hearts as we leave this place today. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, I pray, Lord, that they would make that commitment to you this morning to know you and to have their sin forgiven and to be born again. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross, dying upon the cross, rising again from the dead to give us life, abundant life, Lord, and eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.